0: Hello there, I'm Niall Kahn, and this is the p Podcast. On this week's episode, we're taking a look at 2019 with Ronnie D'Arienzo, p Head of Sales and Marketing, as he gives us some of his predictions and payment trends for next year. And I was just curious if you could uh, walk us through some of your predictions for next year in terms of general payment trends.
1: Yeah, sure. Now I'd be happy to. I think I think the best way to do it is to try and segment that a little bit and uh, have a look at what are the global trends that we need to be aware of that are coming through for 2019, and then maybe look at um, more specific regional trends as well. Uh, in particular, some of the emerging markets as well as Europe as well. Um, I, I think I think the first one just to start off with, which is um, close to my heart, given the age of my children, uh, <clears throat> is the you know we've got the recent hype about. Millennials transforming um, banking. Uh, but actually, uh, when you think about it, most millennials um, still remember the days of dial up internet. You know, technically, a millennial's born after 1984, um, and the World Wide Web wasn't actually invented until 1990. So that's six years after mil- millennials were born. So actually, um, I think where 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 I'm focusing more is the next generation, uh, which will be different. So those that are, um, you know, born. Uh, in, in, a, in an era where they're always connected, always uh, always on, and that is members of the Generation Z, so those born roughly between 1996 and 2010. So they're a group of people that have not known life without technology. Um, so they've lived through their mobile devices, their fast-growing consumer segment, and in fact, in the next four years, so starting next year, Generation Z will start to account for 40% of all consumers. So their expectations are for fast, seamless, and secure banking experiences, and, and, and you know that 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 demand is going to be higher than ever. Um, there was a, a, a recent study done in collaboration with with Google that analysed e-commerce clients, and they found that um, clients that used accelerated mobile pages, so that's pages that increase conversion rates, uh, increased by 105%, decreased bounce rates by 31%, and increased a click-through rate from search engines by 29%. So really, uh, pandering to the needs of Generation Z in the next few years and having a mobile-first solution uh, is going to be even more critical in 2019. So you
0: see this, this growth of younger people finally coming of age and being able to spend money. So this is really going to reshape the e-commerce industry, right?
1: Yeah, very much so. In particular, with regards to to mobile, so uh, making sure you have a uh, a, a mobile um, presence, um, an, an omnichannel presence, uh, is really critical for these uh, demanding um, Generation Z uh, consumers. And actually leading on from that, I guess that, that brings us quite a nice segue on to, to the next um, element in terms of where we're starting to see some uh, real development. And that is uh, around the rise of APMs. Um, so currently, um, and this might surprise a lot of people actually, that Visa and MasterCard today account for only 23% of global e-commerce today, particularly people from the US and from the UK will find that surprising because that's an embed uh, um, uh, way of making online purchases is with your credit card, with PayPal or with your Visa or, De- or, or, or MasterCard. Um, but actually, globally, when you look at global e-commerce, uh, it's a much, much smaller number uh and in fact by 2021 we think that that number will be as low as just 15% of global e-commerce and it's particularly being driven by uh you know merchants realizing that in order to reach a, a broader global consumer market, they're going to start to need to offer payment methods uh, of customers from outside their borders. Um, and, and I'll explain a little bit more what I mean there in terms of um, the preferences that customers have and the choice that they want they, they want to see in merchants' checkout pages. So unlike the US, as I said, and the UK, where there is a strong and established card acquiring model, uh, many markets prefer what we call alternative uh, payments. So uh, this is often culturally driven. Uh, For example, if you want to attract Dutch consumers, uh, then you're going to need to add um, ideal, uh, bank transfer uh, model in ideal as a payment method. As an example, in in the Netherlands, 57% of Dutch consumers make an online purchase using bank transfer through the ideal network. Um, So it, it means if you just rely on credit cards and debit cards, you're going to miss a significant segment of those consumers uh, that want to buy your goods. Uh, so particularly for for, uh, for Russia, Kiwi is really important, as is Yandex and WebMoney. For OXO, uh, for, for Mexico, OXO is really important, and of course, in terms of China, you, you, you can't ignore Alipay and WeChat as well as UnionPay uh, as well. So you know, get, give you some examples of where the alternative payments, global alternative payment methods are driving that. We WeChat's mobile platform already today accounts for half of the world's global mobile payments. Um, it's also worth noting, and we shouldn't ignore UnionPay as well here, um, because uh, UnionPay, uh, which is a local credit card, technically local credit card to China, recently overtook Visa as the world's largest form of card payments by transaction value and number of users so it's really significant and even in a, in a non debt cash based um, preference market like Germany Apple pay uh, is starting to, to take a foothold so um, the list is endless I think we you know we, we look at it and say there's up to around about 400 relevant alternative payment methods or local payment methods worldwide and um, uh, it's unlikely, obviously, that the merchant is going to choose all of those. So they just need to be careful in terms of what they choose. But certainly what we're seeing is um, the growth of APMs, the wider spread of um, purchases being made by mer- uh, by consumers uh, around the world and attracting uh, merchants, attracting consumers from other countries. So making sure that um, the PSPs and acquiring banks are recognising that and adding, adding to their APMs to their portfolio uh, is going to be really important, particularly for the merchants who don't want to lose the, uh, the online purchases that consumers want to make globally.
0: Yeah, certainly. This is one of the, the reoccurring themes, of course, of our podcast here as well, is that is the importance of local payment methods like this. Um, why do you think next year, do you think there's going to be more awareness of APMs in the coming years? Or is are we on the cusp of uh, the world knowing more about Alipay and WeChat Pay as China rises? Or what, what is the explanation for this? this yeah,
1: uh, and I, I don't think it's down to one particular um, um, uh, aspect. I mean, certainly you mentioned WeChat and Alipay um, becoming an omnichannel. Panel presence, so having POS into Europe, into, into uh, the States as well, uh, and consumers wanting to, not just travelers, but consumers wanting to use those payment methods as well. Um, I, I also believe that, um, and certainly where we are starting to see a lot of our growth is out of the US market. Uh, traditionally, as I mentioned, there is a card acquiring network, uh, maybe slightly behind the UK actually, but what we're starting to see with some of the big acquiring banks out there is a recognition that consumers are wanting to buy goods from a US-based merchants. But in order to do that, they're going to have to add alternative payment methods. Now traditionally uh, in Europe, where we have a um, you know 27 member countries, as an example, all with their own preferences and, and a relatively small continent. Um, The US are divorced a little bit from that, so they're starting to catch up and recognize that they have to offer more than just credit and debit cards and PayPal and Apple Pay and Google Pay, for example, and they're starting to add all of these European payment methods, Latin American payment methods, as well as Asian, and that's going to really drive a lot of that growth. Okay, that's
0: very exciting to look forward to for the next year. Uh, what, What other kind of trends are we looking for in the next year?
1: Uh, well, I always like to try and um, defend, because I'm a little bit old school, uh, the physical stores. Um, so maybe one of the trends um, that, I, that I'd like to um, spend a bit of time talking about now is maybe the renaissance of physical stores, because I think what we've seen in the past uh, is the fact that uh, brick and mortar stores are becoming a thing of the past, um, people buying online, people not shopping in the high streets, etc., Um But actually, I think that's a trend that uh, in a number of sectors uh, may well be reversed over the next few years in terms of that uh, contact that people still want to have with each other and that shopping experience. It's not physically about just buying the goods, but it's the whole experience around shopping uh, that I think will bring consumers back to the high street. Um, So for some consumers, as we know... um, Uh, nothing e-commerce has to offer can quite measure that physical in-store experience. And indeed, certain global retailers—and we call them retailers—Amazon and and Alibaba are now experimenting with um, some newly revived power of hands-on shopping. uh, When traditionally their market, of course, has been uh, online. Um, Amazon recently opened a new retail store in New York. The items selected are bestsellers, and they directly reflect uh, what consumers are buying. So much like they do online, um, making that an uh, an in-store presence. So that the the store concept effectively turning traditional shopping on its head by replicating that virtual experience within the physical instead of vice versa as where it's been trending today so they're copying the structure of the Amazon website uh, the store has products organised by headings that we're familiar with when we go online um, so already known to online shoppers such as trending around uh, New York City are frequently bought together or Amazon exclusives and Alibaba as well um, are seeing um, a belief in the renaissance of physical stores as well they've recently debuted a fashion AI concept boutique in Hong Kong uh, so that store displays a selection of uh, Guess Apparel amongst others uh, and with the help of Smart Mirror that displays product information on a special screen, shoppers are examining items and making other purchases along with that as well and the Smart Mirror points to where garments in question can be found. So it's all around that um, that physical experience and you'll see certainly in London as an example, Nike store in uh, in London do a great job in terms of bringing consumers in by having DJs uh, and, and, and more of a Um, a social experience uh, in store as well and a few few others are starting to recognize that so certainly we're looking at the renaissance of physical stores coming through
0: yeah well that that should be uh, something to look forward to in the next year so more more focus on experiences and in-store shopping and hopefully driving more consumers back to stores
1: yeah absolutely i think so
0: so one of, one of the big uh, things over the last year has been mergers and acquisitions. So yeah. PayPal has been on something of an, a buying spree. I think last year they bought a couple of firms. So they bought iZettle this year. Yeah. um what what is going to be happening with uh, mergers and acquisitions and financial technology
1: yeah I I think this is certainly leads on to the next um global trend for 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 next year and beyond that so as you mentioned there that um, there's been quite a significant number of um, mergers acquisitions throughout 2018 <clears throat> and I think that will will continue I think you know, if you look at a, a statistic 40 percent of the fintech sector's top deals um, were from digital and transaction processing segment. So it's a significant number of those coming from from, from that sector. Uh, you mentioned uh, PayPal. <clears throat> so, and I, uh, you know, iZettle was the purchase, 2.2 billion all-cash uh, acquisition of that Stockholm-based uh, um, payment provider. Uh, there's others in there, French payment service business, Worldline agreed to buy the payments unit of uh, the Swiss stock market operator, which is Six Group. That was a significant sum of 2.7 billion. Five billion. Um, other deals as well include maybe smaller ones. Um, uh, the um, uh, first data selling card processing businesses um, uh, uh, to to their Italian rival SIA uh, happened this year as well. And uh, I, I think you know any any year doesn't really go past in terms of M and A without talking about. PaySafe, uh, who are always um, making um, strategic purchases um, uh, that are complementary to their business. So, um, well, in fact, actually, in, in, last year that actually Blackstone and CBC bought that business back itself. Um, so, that's one to look for as well in 2019. So, I think. In terms of looking ahead, what's going to drive it even further um, is the implementation of uh, PSD2. Um, we'll come and talk a little bit more about that in uh, in the next um, uh, section, I think. But, um, you know, that that's going to be a major game changer for the MA and a landscape. Um, uh, it's going to drive banks to collaborate or innovate uh, more with fintech or indeed uh, acquire or merge uh, with them. <clears throat> you know, banks... Um, traditionally being less agile than some of the fintechs, need to move fast um, and therefore uh, uh, um, uh, acquisitions uh, that are complementary to the business uh, and complementary to the growth is going to encourage that uh, further across pan-European. I think, you know, the new entrants will find a level playing field. Um, and that's going to be harmonizing consumer protection and rights, uh, which will encourage those new entrants to the financial services uh, market and, you know, further M&A or deal growth and, and, and valuations will continue in 2019.
0: Are you at all concerned about a bubble in the fintech market? We see a lot of acquisitions. We see a lot of cash being thrown around. Um does this ring any alarm bells for you at all? Or do you think this is pretty safe sailing? Is this, there's, there's so much money to be made that it's worth throwing all this money.
1: Yeah. I I, I think, um, there is a danger of the wrong acquisitions being made because acquisitions need to be made quickly. Um, uh, you've got a lot of fintech businesses that are primed for being acquired. Um, banks need to be very careful in terms of making sure it's complementary to their, to their suite, understanding what their strategy is. Well, uh, Rather than just making acquisitions, I don't think it's a bubble, um, but I think banks acquiring banks uh, need to be careful about uh, who they're targeting and what they're acquiring for.
0: Okay, excellent. And you you had mentioned PSD two and the need for banks to partner up with fintech a little bit to maybe further their yeah. their their growth. Yeah. Uh, could you speak a little bit to PSD two in Europe? And so this was a law that went into effect this year. Right. I know there was a it caused not chaos, but it would caused a great deal of uh, confusion and a little bit of anxiety about how it's going to be implemented and how the how the fines are going to work. Um, so just very briefly, yeah, how did PSD two turn out this year, and how will it be changing next year?
1: Yeah, well, look, I, I think you're absolutely right, Niall, that um, uh, introduced at the beginning of this year, I think um, you know the, 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 the initial uh, purpose of that was to uh, improve payment security, reduce fraud. Um, they were some of the key objectives of when it came on online uh, at the beginning of this year. Um, and I think there's a lot of that that is still going on. Uh, um, no fines issues, as I'm aware of to date. Uh, but there's a period for that to bed in. I think there is a uncertainty or or, or an unknown in terms of how that will fully play out. Um, but but that's starting to to bed in. I think what's coming next year, which is really worth um, focusing on, and that is in September next year, is strong customer authentication, and I think that will have a significant impact uh, in terms of uh, the EU. Uh, both from a customer's card issuer perspective, as well as the PSP uh, and the merchant as well. So, so what does strong customer authentication mean? Yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a good question, um, and I think it's worth spending a bit of time around um, w- the impact of that and when that comes in. That that's not coming in t- until until September 2019. Um, but it will likely have ramifications for most companies doing business online in Europe um, and may require significant changes to the payment flow. So it's it's worth explaining a little bit about what that is and how that will be measured and indeed um, uh, a one size not. Uh, fitting all um, perspective that that um, merchants and banks need to be aware of as well. So, um, as I said, it's running on a different timeline to other parts of psd 2 It's actually the 14th of September that it fully comes into effect. Um, and the European Banking Authority and several national regulators um, have already issued separate papers clarifying their implementation plans. And it's worth sort of understanding what those are. So this is a new mandatory method authentication online payments, or in other words, for verifying a customer's identity before accepting an online payment. And they're using three elements in order to do that, and that is come, coming into effect next September. Um, I, I think um, the first one is, maybe, maybe it's uh, easy to, to remember it in terms of uh, what the customer knows. Uh, what the customer has and what the customer is. So knows, has and is is really, really key. So the first one is what the customer knows. So that's e.g. a uh, PIN um, or, for example, a, an answer to a security question. What it isn't uh, is card data like the CVV or the expiry date. That's not um, considered a valid knowledge factor or, uh, that what the customer has, uh, or in other words, possesses, for example, mobile phone number or hardware token, uh, is one of the other elements that they're going to use for validating um, uh, consumer's identity. And finally, what the customer is. So obviously biometrics we're talking about there, so fingerprint ID, facial recognition, or iris scan. Um, so that that's really key in terms of these are the three elements. So these strong customer authentications, are trying
0: to tamp down fraud, exactly, right? So how much is fraud actually an issue in e-commerce?
1: It is a big issue. Um, and it's one that that's growing. Um, as we try and become um, faster with payments and more seamless with payments uh, and more user-friendly for consumers, then obviously there's going to be an element in terms of where fraud uh, possibility increases. So what we've seen is that, uh, you know, nearly one in 60 online transactions attempted globally are fraudulent. And that's a really significant number that is growing. Uh, so for businesses, it's estimated that, um, you know, when not addressed properly, fraud can cost up to about three percent of their revenue, which is a you know uh, the difference between um, profit and not non-profit in in, in many sectors. Um, what what's interesting as well is though that certain countries and certain local payment methods are already addressing this two-factor authentication. So India already uh, have that for cards issued by Indian banks and local payment messages here in Europe as well such as Sofort, uh, which is available to several European countries, Bank Contact in Belgium, Ideal in the Netherlands already rely on multi-factor authentication by asking their customers to log in using the credentials and a one-time password etc. sent by text. So um, that's already in place. So um, in certain markets, They've already made that step change towards um, two-factor authentication. You know, obviously, we know that authentication redisks, re- uh, reduces the risk of fraud, um, uh, but as we said, it, it adds friction. It adds friction to the payment. So there is a balancing act uh, that, that merchants and banks need to, uh, to to try and strike, and therefore. You know, the more friction, the more likelihood of um, consumers abandoning their purchase. Um, So it's important that merchants and banks um, understand and are very clear about which which transactions strong customer authentication uh, relate to and which can be exempted. Uh, and, and there are five key areas that are exempt from strong customer authentication. So, as I said at the beginning, not trying to have a one-size-fits-all and making Um, uh, dual authentication apply to everything. Um, Friction doesn't need to have to happen on every transaction. So whitelisted trusted beneficiaries, i.e. initiated by the customer, Uh, so the customer being able to tell the merchant that it's listed. Um, Subscriptions, uh, so recurring payments, first transaction has to be uh, authenticated, of course, but subsequent ones don't need strong customer authentication. Uh, Any transactions below €30, so we'll know in terms of... um, uh, using our debit cards today uh, for contactless payments. Uh, that That is applying for SCA um, from September next year. Uh, low-risk transactions as well. So many factors determine that as low-risk, uh, you know, prov- um, uh, fraud rates, out-of-pattern spending, previous spending patterns, etc. So some of those low-risk transactions w- are, are, are exempt from strong customer authentication. Uh, and <clears throat> some of the secure corporate payments. So lodge or virtual cards uh, that are very traditional for travel and entertainment expenditure. Uh, But, you know, failure to comply, um, even with these exempt, will result in declined payments uh, between the merchant, uh, the customer and the the customer's bank, uh, and fines for the PSPs as well.
0: So next year, a lot of different companies in Europe are going to be working to implement this by September. Uh,
1: Indeed, and really need to be focusing on doing that now.
0: So we have looked at the global payment trends. If we were to focus just region by region, how what kind of trends are we looking at in these various regions?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I mentioned before Niall um, touched on about the U.S. in terms of the growth um, for the U.S. So I think maybe a good starting point is to have a look at the U.S. Um, uh, I also mentioned that uh, development around the uh, traditional card market is catching up, EMV being in place now, um, but contactless is coming and I think that is the next trend in 2019. So. You know, in 2015, uh, the US began that migration from mag stripes uh, to what we're all commonly uh, familiar with in Europe now in terms of uh, chip cards being embedded into the cards at EMV. Um, And as a result of that, more than 2.9 million retail uh, locations have EMV enabled. um, And that's reduced counterfeit fraud by 75%. So all some real positive stuff uh, uh, going on there. Um, Now... The one significant downside to that is that uh, transactions have been taking a little longer, so the the friction is there. How much longer does it actually take with a chip and pen? Um, We're looking around about um, 50%. Something like okay. around about 50% longer in terms of doing that. So clear, clearly there is a, a need to make that a little bit more consumer-friendly. Um, so the solution solution is contactless payments. Um, uh, might be a surprise to us here in, in the UK or in, in mainland Europe, um, but actually um, uh, contactless payments is not yet uh, adopted fully in the US. And interestingly enough as well, where that... Um, Uh, In European countries, it was driven by the issuer, uh, was issuing cars that were contactless enabled. Actually, in the US, where that's starting is from the the merchant for the POS terminal, which is enabled. So it's the issuers that really need to catch up there uh, first. Um, beyond that that contactless payment trend is growing quickly outside the us so countries like and I mentioned Europe but certainly Australia the UK Brazil and Canada are already running on contactless payments uh, and the adoption among those consumers is increasing um, uh, significantly yeah so in the us actually the situation is the opposite so uh, as I mentioned many merchants have already adopted uh, and have terminals that can accept contactless payments, um, but they just haven't enabled that technology in them yet. And what they're really waiting for is uh, the issuers is to start rolling out uh, cards with, their, with, with that technology embedded into those cards. So banks need to start thinking now about what their strategy will be for getting those cards into consumers' hands in order to make that transaction seamless and, uh, and um, um, frictionless for the consumer.
0: So the chip and pin method is a little bit slower, but why is contactless actually faster?
1: Yeah, it's just the technology embedded in there for transactions that are below 30 euros, as we see, or or, or equivalent, uh, 30 sterling in in the UK, uh, that enables that transaction to be authorized immediately without any uh, pin number or any other authentication going through. So that makes that significantly quicker. Okay, interesting.
0: I remember when I was working in retail when I was younger, some Europeans came in, and they had the chip and pin system, and this was, like, what, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And where I was working was a clothing store, and they had the, the POSs, and they could accept the chip. Yeah, There was a sign for it to, like, go in, but we never, we couldn't accept it. Yeah. You always had to swipe your card. And yeah. the Europeans were just dumbfounded that this right. was still a thing.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, look, at, look how quick it is in, you know, um, uh, the London Underground, and imagine how difficult that would be if you don't have contactless uh, yeah. in there.
0: Be awful, but yeah. this is why you have an Oyster card,
1: right? Like, yeah, just... yeah. Well, you can use any any um, chip and pin enabled card there as well. So I could use, I could use this debit card um, uh, instead of an Oyster card. Cost and it just, same, and it just immediately works. Just immediately. That's
0: Okay, yeah. man, I hope that one day, Munich will have this as well. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be 20 years from now.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm sure uh, it's it's coming. It's coming. I've seen a few places that are accepting it.
0: All right, so we've looked at Europe. We've looked at the U.S. What are some perhaps developing? Markets that we could take a look at.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, I I think um, uh, in terms of emerging markets, uh, regions, uh, very clearly we've got uh, Africa, Latin America and Southeast Asia that are driving a lot of the growth. Uh, and maybe I'll spend a bit of time on each one of those uh, and pick out some of the trends that are coming through here. So Africa, um, we see, is the next e-commerce revolution in 2019. We've obviously seen what's happened in Southeast Asia particular, uh, and I'm sure that will continue to, to grow at, a, at the pace that we've seen recently. But uh, the one to watch next is Africa, and that's starting to make uh, you know um, rapid expansion. Uh, in that particular market. There are over a billion people across 54 countries in this continent Uh, And the 21st century has seen a remarkable industrial transformation there. A lot of that Chinese business, Chinese investment uh, uh, coming in there, but a lot from Europe as well. But this young and high growth continent is now at the cutting edge of global consumer behavior without the burden uh, of, uh, as we would have had in Europe, entrenched distribution of channels or legacy infrastructure, much like China was in terms of why uh, cards are not so embedded into that particular market and they moved very digitally into e-wallets. Um, very much the same in terms of the rails are not there in Africa to uh, restrain them there. And I think digital e-commerce uh, is going to grow in the same way that it did in China, into, into Africa. Uh, you know, that's one of the, Africa's one of the fastest-growing middle-class consumer markets in the world. Uh, their buying power is becoming more and more significant uh, as of their d- demand in terms of content on mobile platforms. So, um, in particular, on mobile, uh, you can see this explosion not only being important from the consumer perspective, but beyond that, um, you know, it's ex- extending into payment innovation as well. Uh, maybe just some facts in there and, and, and some names. So nearly 60% of world's active mobile money accounts are in sub-Saharan Africa alone. Um, and that's according to Ecobank Research. And Impesa, who is the mo- uh, most commonly known uh, brand in there, has been hugely successful, particularly in Kenya and now spreading to other uh, markets in, in the continent and that's expected to be replicated across the board for mobility payments in Africa. So I think 2019 is going to be a really instrumental year for this frontier market.
0: In Africa, you see a lot of Chinese investment infrastructure projects and trains and roads and bridges. Are the Chinese, are Chinese investors also doing this for technology in Africa? Are there are a lot of the Chinese investment for fintech.
1: Yeah look I think I think the Chinese are a smart smart bunch of people so I think the investment that they're making into that particular market means that there is some um, trade um, um, uh, collaboration that is going on between the two, they recognise from a digital as well as a uh, a commerce perspective uh, that Africa is going to be a really important market, and hence, hence the investment in there. Um, but I, I certainly see the adoption of uh, technology in the payments um, sector uh, being being taken on board by Africa as well. You know, mPesa and digital wallets is going to be really key to, to the growth of that and. PSPs and acquiring banks really need to take note and starting to look at um, providing those types of payment methods to their suite of services. So we've uh, we touched
0: on Africa. Where else would you like to continue on our trip across
1: the globe? Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, the penultimate one I, win, I want to touch on is Latin America. Uh, certainly at PPRO, what we're starting to see, especially from our US customers, our US uh, PSPs and acquiring banks, uh, is a focus towards that particular market and certain growths. In particular, Boleta Bancario is a really key method in Brazil uh, and OXO in Mexico. But it's beyond that as well, and we're starting to see a, a real e-commerce growth in there. Brazil may be slightly going, uh, losing pace, but other markets like Argentina and Colombia are really ramping up pace as they sort their, sort their economies out from the doldrums they've had in the last decade or so. So, you know, there's, there's high levels of connectivity in this particular uh, continent that's fueling rapid e-commerce growth. Um, uh, you, Brazil, as I mentioned, is, the, is still the largest e-commerce market in the in the uh, in the continent. It's a global digital power uh, there. But the, the latest indica- uh, latest trends indicate that m-commerce and social media are still the best way in that particular market to reach consumers. Uh, and most importantly, local payment methods are the key to that particular success. Um, so many consumers from different reasons foregoing international credit cards in place of local credit cards, which are really um, popular there. Pinless debit transactions, as I mentioned as well, uh, boleto as well. So bank and cash being really key in that particular market. So, whilst I expect Brazil to continue to be the lead in 2019 in terms of the biggest market in that in that um, continent, Argentina, I think, is the one to watch closely. Uh, and that's, this country is coming off the back of very, very strong uh, commerce, e-commerce, and em- m-commerce performances. Um, uh, we know, and it's uh, well documented, that Argentina has experienced um, a lot of economic unrest in recent years. Uh, but actually it does benefit from very high internet penetration. That's really key for this uh, for this particular e-commerce market. So you know it's the largest mobile internet usage in Latin America bigger than bigger than Brazil. Um, it also has a very large middle-class um, sector uh, and expect digital banks to, to prevail there as well. Um, so um, cash-based methods like Pago Rappi RapiPago uh, will give way to more mobile and digital payments in that market in 2019.
0: Uh, moving away from cash, moving away from cars, going more digital in South America. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah indeed, indeed. All right. So for our final region that we're going to take a look yeah. at.
1: Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Uh, it, it, yeah. So I, I, th- I think you know, Southeast Asia can't go without a mention. Uh, it's it's still continuing in terms of the rapid expansion, the growth driven particularly out of India and, and China. But there are some smaller markets in there like uh, Indonesia and uh, the Philippines and Malaysia that are actually small today, but really driving a lot of growth because of the internet uses that they've got there. Southeast Asians spend more time on their mobiles than any other market. On average, consumers spend around about 3.6 hours per day uh, using uh, mobile internet. Uh, And locals are very tech savvy, you know, they're very motivated um, for developing global technology, global technology companies are moving into the market uh, and starting to pay attention to this particular trend. Again, major investment boosts that come from Chinese companies like Alibaba and Tencent, and that's paving the way for a big year in, in, in e-commerce in that particular market. Uh, in particular, as I mentioned before, Indonesia, that's really one to watch. Um, you know, that, that, that market is being primed uh, for real rapid uh, rapid growth. It's got a uh, swift GDP growth, uh, fastest growing number of Internet users across the globe. Um, and, you know, that, that really means it's uh, right for e-commerce growth. Um, it's been very quick to establish itself as a mobile First Nation uh, and therefore presents a unique unique opportunity for merchants to introduce digital payments uh, to further engage that tech-savvy consumer um, customer base that they've got there. Um, some facts again, maybe not 2029, uh, 2019, but looking much further beyond to 2025. Um, that Southeast Asian digital economy is predicted to surge to 200 billion uh, US dollars uh, by then, um, with the Indonesian digital market to account for nearly half of that. And that, that's coming from, um, you know, Alphabet Tem- Temasek, for example. Uh, that would put the nation third in the region, um, obviously behind the powerhouses, as we mentioned, China and, A- and India. Um but one of the biggest challenges for e-commerce in Indonesia uh, has been the low pen- penetration of debit and credit cards. Um, so their, you know, the, the, however their countries, therefore, have great potential for alternative payment methods, um, which is driving a lot of that. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, uh, the uh, not the lack of growth in uh, credit and debit cards because that's still growing, but the share of growth in that particular market. So. In Indonesia, for example, CIMB clicks, which is bank transfer, Mandiri ClickPay, another bank transfer payment method, uh, and other cash-based payment methods like Indomaret and uh, Alphamart, which is really uh, driving a lot of that e-commerce growth in that market.
0: Ronnie, thank you so much for your predictions. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you can join us next year. We can see how all of these predictions uh, panned
1: out. I look forward to it. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and wherever else you can find your podcasts. You can follow P-Pro on Instagram and Twitter at at P-Pro underscore group. Until next year, bye-bye.